back to another episode of Beyond the Hashtag. I'm Natalie, your host, and today we're talking everything social media, the power of it, and how we want to use it to drive change in society and create value for our audiences. We're talking to more incredible business owners who are sharing their top tips on how to create an engaged audience, and my favorite part, the epic social media fail for this week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Make sure you click the follow button and keep up to date. And you know what to do. Follow us on all social media after this episode. We're at NLY Social. And Steve. Hello, hello. And hello. thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond the Hashtag. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciated you reaching out. We met through, and this seems to be a recurring theme that comes up, we met through the NatWest Business Accelerator. Yeah. And you reached out for people hosting podcasts. Correct. Specifically, interest around ethical businesses and sustainability. And it's just the perfect match. And here we are. Yep. <laughs> Tell us about Motion Manor. So I uh, co-founded Motion Manor 18 months ago with my partner. We're essentially an ethical animation studio and we help people who care more about impact than profit achieve great things with their video content, particularly animation and motion design. Love it. Great pit. Tell me why the, the kind of ethical yeah. element and sustainability is so important to you. So why, why niching? I've always had this underlying belief that we have a moral obligation to leave the world a better place than we found it. Okay. I've been in animation for 10 years. Uh, previous businesses was something I wanted to push mm-hmm. as a vision, but it was co-ownership. We had different opinions about where the business should go. In the end, we moved away amicably. And then my partner and I, we kind of went soul searching. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. So we went traveling. And this was when we really actually saw the outer world firsthand. You see videos online and you hear, you see the protests and people talking about it, but this was the first time we actually saw the bleached coral reefs with no lives. We actually saw remote beaches in the middle of nowhere in Cambodia completely filled with trash, wow. which took, blew our mind. We would see animals le- locked in cages on the streets in Thailand. And it oh. was really then where we kind of broadened our awareness of the bubble we'd been living in and what being ethical it might have meant to us. So when we came back, we were trying to figure out what the next steps were. And to us, storytelling was a very powerful tool. So we wanted to move back into animation and motion design. And then as we set the company up, we realized that for this to be our company and really want to push it, it has to be in line with our values. So everything that we believed and learned had to be at the forefront of the organization. We didn't want it to be something hidden on the bottom of an abate page where you click through and you scroll and it's like, oh, we also (laughs) do this and this and this. It's like, no, we wanted it to be our identity to also narrow down who we worked with, but also how we operated as a business moving forward. That's really great to hear that it was almost an enlightenment that you had that drove the beginning of the company. And before we started recording, you and I had a quick chat about a lot of sustainable businesses, the journey that are going on to pivot into a sustainable ethical business. I guess that's great, isn't it? It's it's great that businesses would be solely focused on profit making no matter who their audience to pivot in a world today that we're in to put sustainability and the green agenda at the heart of what they do. How do we make sure it's genuine though? So that's a challenge that I've found since day one. So we know what it is we're trying to do, but it's trying to do it in a way of how do we do it so it's transparent, it's genuine, but then also it's kind of backed up. So mm. We're not just saying it. So we've looked a lot into accreditations. but briefly touched upon that we're going through the process that we want to be B Corp certified. 
that's one thing in law and I think for a lot of organizations that's a great level of certification that covers a lot of bases it balances people process plan in many different areas there are a lot of other sub accreditations that you can get in different areas so another one is one percent for the planet and a great example actually is when we first incorporated we made the decision that we were going to reinvest 20 percent of our profits into creating content for nonprofits in climate sustainability and animal welfare then we talked about this for a while and we we're really excited but there was incongruency there and we we're like this is a great idea but then we realized as an sme you're not really pushing to be in profit as possible it sounds nice but how genuine is it so we actually had that battle of well what do we make the number mm. so we picked a partner for the first year and then we actually changed it at that point we're going to make it just revenue so we actually reduced the number we went realistically what would that proportion be and we just made it revenue and we settled on two percent revenue is going to be moving forward that's more tangible that's profit mm. or not regardless of the accounting reports and how that gets processed it's two percent revenue we are committing to that goal and that's genuine yeah absolutely yeah that's putting your money where your mouth is yeah if you like so yeah i think that's really important that people who want to make that pivot and go on that journey need mm. to really ask themselves those yeah. questions we've been going through it a lot at naturally social and our journey was very much on the lines of going on the, on the accelerator helped me yeah. to really communicate my why which was about using social media as a force for good but there was an incongruency there with the clients that we were working with yeah. versus the clients we were trying to get to and we had to be really strong about saying no to certain people and really working on getting yeah. those that we want to work with in order to make sure that both what we say outside yeah. versus what's happening under the surface meet together and um, really what you preach ultimately what's been your favorite work so far or who have you enjoyed working with so bringing it into the last two years rather than the last 10 we've been fortunate enough to have some fantastic clients there's this weird thing that happens that when you actually kind of go right we're going to align the business with our values and stop saying no to these people that don't fit suddenly you start working with lovely people mm. which actually makes communication a lot more enjoyable as well because in the past we've worked with clients that I wouldn't work with again or communicating was very difficult it was that callous corporate relationship we're paying you do us a service whereas now because we're connecting our values the caliber of the people we're working with actually makes the work a lot more fun yeah we've just finished a project for an amazing foster care agency in australia and they were lovely they were just some of the most constructive people we'd ever worked with in terms of our process um, and the feedback and i think but also giving us a lot of creative control it, it was nice to have that trust where they're coming to us and going okay what should this look like and we're putting together the package and the ideas and the scripts and almost giving us a lot of autonomy over the visuals was really nice to have that kind of like that creative input sometimes it's like a 50 50 whereas they were just we trust you go run with it which was brilliant nice yeah. how do you get clients in australia so we worked with another client so there's a snack based brand based in the uk called higher and that's a plant-based uh, snack bar and we did a series of videos for them which were for social media so evergreen content paid advertising that sort of thing there was a uh, videos to be used in their online so e-commerce marketplaces so the director was i think school friends with the person so the person in the australian foster care agency grew up in england moved to the australia so a lot of our work has been through referral it's been we work with someone they love it they then spread the word to someone else so the relationships are very tenuous it's in terms of how they're connected. That's all right, yeah. no, it still works, doesn't yeah, it? I exactly. love that. Yeah. And so animation, video content in general, how important is it for the storytelling that you mentioned earlier, yeah. um, particularly 
with people in the purpose-driven field. I think video as a broader medium, I think, is hugely important. So we have this belief that we, we constantly preach to people is that we believe storytelling has the power to change the world. And that fundamentally comes down to the psychology of people, where if you look at who we are now, we're a product of all the stories and experiences we've had since the day we were born. The, what we've heard from our parents, family members, friends, over all of time has made us who we are. So by that logic, the same thing has happened throughout the entirety of humanity. We're where we are because of the stories we've told ourselves throughout mm. history. So if we begin to actually control the narrative in a more positive way and focus on actually using storytelling as an empowering medium, we can use that to leverage where we want the future to go. So that's the broader reasoning behind video. And I think for actually engaging audiences as a purpose-led organization video is an amazing tool not only to get your audience to connect with you but for you to really refine and clarify your message video is this really interesting tool where a lot of the power actually comes from the pre-production all the things you yeah. don't see on screen so it's like it's like writing an elevator pitch you can stand there and deliver an amazing elevator pitch but what people don't see is the actual the work putting beforehand where you're figuring out who is your audience what are you saying what message resonates and video really allows you to perfectly articulate who you are, why you do what you do, and what it is you actually do, and make it as short and digestible as possible. Mm. I think sometimes if you leave things to chance, people can either waffle or not actually understand what it is they do themselves. Yes. Something we commonly see through networking is when um, you'll see like the 60 second elevator pitch and they've gone on for three minutes and you still don't know what it is they do. <laughs> Video actually really forces you to reflect on your message. And then it's interesting because that message is universal. It's powerful in the video, but you actually have that message for you to use elsewhere if you've never been through that script writing process. Yeah. yeah. So why animation over you know, your standard pre-recorded yeah. or live video? Here at Naturally Social, yeah. we're going really full on with short form yeah. video, like TikToks and Reels. What's the benefit of animation? And is it yeah. a trend that, you know, yeah. has been? So there's, there's a few answers. So the first easiest answer is going to be, I was an animator and I did animation at university. So yeah. that's the, the natural <laughs> progress in terms of my understanding in skill set and industry. The reason why we haven't branched out into broad video production is from an actual sustainability goal point of view. It doesn't align with our values and it's right. something that we've battled with. Fundamentally, digital animation, we can try and make the process as green as possible in terms of the equipment we buy, how we generate that work. We limit physical materials if barely using any at all. Yeah. Video production typically can require a lot of travel but not only that it, the manufacturing process that goes into making lenses I don't know the math of how much water will get consumed in the glass molding for a lens on its own I don't actually know but the actual carbon footprint of creating a video production going somewhere shooting a big on-site promo video with professional lighting and stuff like that the actual footprint of that is going to be drastically higher than say animation where it's potentially just you and mouse and a laptop Beautiful answer. I love that. I yeah. genuinely love that answer. I think it's perfect. Yeah. I think it was through COVID. I can't remember what company. I'll have to go and have a look afterwards. But I was seeing a lot of adverts yeah. created on TV using digital means yeah. and repurposing of content that had been yeah. probably produced in other places. And they're probably doing that mainly because they couldn't get actors on sets. And yeah. But actually, I was looking at this out thinking, they're really nice. Mm. And they must cost a fraction yeah. in both financial and economic yeah. terms to produce. 
So it really depends on the scale of the production. So if we're talking about the animations that John Lewis might be making, mm, no. I don't know what their budgets are going to be. It's probably more than what we get paid for our <laughs> average production. But I think video production cameras as an entry point can be more affordable than animation, but it depends. It can also scale very quickly in terms of crew. So I know video production can be very expensive. If you're talking about TV advertising, then they are paying for actors, actresses, you might have um, mm. set design, props, you will have a plethora of people behind the scenes actually bringing this together that have come from all over the place, potentially flew in. Animation, for example, from an actual costing point of view, you can have a team of people just working remotely from home offices or co-working spaces. They don't need to travel those long distances. They don't need central hubs or offices where people are commuting in. So it's a very, very flexible medium. Video is always going to have that in-person limitation where you yeah. have to get people together in some capacity to film. Yeah. What do you feel about all these DIY cloud-based systems that create animated videos? I might mention Toonly and put a link in. So it depends. I'm not going to stand here and necessarily like knock some of these tools. They're not going to create you an award-winning animation at the end of the day. I'm not going to scream at everybody like, you need animated video, you need animated video. I think what businesses, especially SMEs, should be focusing on early on is what is your acquisition channel and how are you going to scale? And it's finding those ways in terms of how are they actually going to be repeatedly bringing in business. And then it's like, how do we use video to actually reinforce this process? Yeah. So for some organizations, depending on their demographic of the audience, where their market is, who they are, they might get away with a cheap toonly video. I had people come to me and go, oh, I've seen this amazing animation. What do you think? And I've been like, ah, and it's, but clearly, I wasn't the person that the video was being targeted to. Mm. And if they were, they were really impressed. Mm. So it really depends. For a lot of, I think, modern brands, they probably do need to steer away from some of the DIY stuff. And I'd say the biggest thing, the reason is, isn't actually the tool implementation, it's the expertise that comes with it. Yeah. Because the people normally creating these videos aren't experts in video. Yeah. They might be generalists in marketing. Yeah. So they're just putting together something that they think will give them the answer. But... Yeah. They don't actually have that broader expertise going, have you considered it from this direction? Or they're not getting that guidance, they're just doing what they think they know best. Yeah, exactly. I'd say what, what they're getting with is, is not by working with people like yourselves, yeah. they're getting time and expertise and direction. Exactly. Yeah. They're getting that broader strategy. I think for us, that's the value that we've really learned to offer over the year is that sitting down when someone comes to us because we want a video, to being the first people to go, why? why? What is the objective? Yeah. What are you hoping to achieve? What is the long play on this? Who's going to be seeing it? Where are they going to be seeing it? And having that broader conversation. And what we often find now is the videos that we provide to people are not the videos that they asked for. No. And it's normally someone will come to what for us for one video, but they might leave with eight small videos yeah. because of where their audience is at that point in time in, say, the sales funnel. Um, yeah. So it will vary heavily what it is they're looking for. Nice. Okay, so social media for you guys, you know, we're on a social media show yeah. as a social media agency. How does social sit into your funnel and your marketing and acquisition? So social for us, I think, has evolved heavily in what we've learned over the past two years, specifically regarding that. It's probably the most consistent we've actually been with outputting content. So I'm going to keep my own mind straight. I'm going to divide this into two. So I'm going to say talk about paid advertising second and yes. first organic. So. Cool. Biggest learning for me was I made a huge mistake previously of hiding behind my brand. So the previous company, what we did was we had the brand social media platforms where we put content out. But 
as a director, I wasn't very active myself. I didn't want to put my face out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't active on social media. So our social media channel, though we were posting regularly, would get little bits of engagement, yeah. but mainly through people we met through networking. There wasn't any really scale strategy there. I often joked that my social media strategy was to just regularly remind people we exist. <laughs> um, and that was the strategy behind it. Whereas now I think it's a lot more strategic. The actual company brand platforms are around engagement, education, and awareness of who we are as a broad company. Now I'm actually trying to make myself a lot more visible on social. I have targets in place in terms of my posts and my engagements. Cool in terms of how do I scale my own social media because at the end of the day, people that come to us are normally buying from me yeah. and my values because that then feeds into the company. And yeah. then that's how we then get them to engage with the broader motion manner marketing material. That's cool. I'm glad that you picked up on that element of yeah. you recognise that previously not putting the face to the brand was actually quite detrimental in a successful, yeah. scalable strategy. Because right. even if it ch that changes in 10 years' time, yeah. putting you behind it to begin with is really important. Because how big is your team at the moment? So uh, four. Four. So do any of the other people appear on your socials at the moment? Little bits here and there. So we're talking about the team on a wider scale, but my, so my partner deals with marketing. So she'll do the content management and the writing, that sort of thing. Yeah. So we're beginning to talk about us more and the actual team. Previously, cool. we were falling into the trap of, we had our categories, but we find ourselves we're resharing blog posts and we're writing captions to do with things that we've just learned or projects that we've just launched. Yeah. There wasn't really much of an outbound strategy in terms of how are we then generating engagement. It yeah. was more of a, we were creating a showcase that people yeah. didn't know existed. Yeah, yeah, because what I was going to say is that to begin with, all my social media was me, 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 me. But then as you grow and you've got a team in here, I've got a team of six yeah. now and seven including me. It can't always be me on the social media, yeah. but we need to put that face point and it works so well. Yeah. But there's also that point where we're attracting loads of new people into yeah. our feeds and our, into our community who don't know who I am. Yeah. And so I got to a point like a year and a half ago, I was like, oh, phew, I could step back on the socials. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was going to do my LinkedIn and then I was like oh no I've got, mm. I've got to go back on the socials haven't I yeah. <laughs> but I think that's really important yeah. is that there will always have to be as yeah. you grow on that journey there needs to be a, an exit strategy per se if we become a, you know, a Vayner Media brand for example yeah. um, I'm not going to be showing up on Naturally Socials channels but I need to have that, yeah. that output for myself that connects the two yeah. together how does it work for you in terms of impact because a lot of people will see social as, as a part of the marketing strategy. Yeah. But how does it deliver impact for you? Do you get customers from it? Have you seen somebody go from here to here and this happen? So we're in that process now. We recently really shifted a lot of our marketing energy through the learnings and the mistakes we made. It's a very simple one. It's going to sound stupid saying it, but we've learned that we can get far more traction via actually using the tools to outbound as opposed to actually generate content. So it's important for us to be engaging with our prospects and actually commenting on them and building those relationships, not just putting content out and going away, come find us. Yay. So now that's part of a broader strategy in terms of we do have a sales funnel with people that we want to work with, but it's then actually following those, engaging with them and then having that slow organic outreach as part of a yes. broader thing. So that all ties in together. Yeah. But we're also starting to use um, paid advertising in particular, but that's more for 
messaging validation and lead gen. I've been finding myself talking about it more recently in terms of using paid advertising for message validation. And simply what I mean by that is it's great for solopreneurs or people starting up to actually test what it is they're trying to build. Yes. Because from my limited experience, all paid advertising is going to do is, is scale that message. So if your message is weak, paid advertising is going to tell you. And I heard people say to me in the past, I did a campaign on Instagram and it got a thousand click-throughs to my website and not a single person purchased paid advertising is a waste of money and i'm like i'm not sure if pay the ad platform is a problem there or the landing page and i think what it actually does is it gives you a great platform to learn and i think if early on people can save a lot of time and pain in learning about their audience and their messaging and what their their tagline should be or who should they be talking to if they actually went let's just put a couple hundred pounds aside exactly and run a number of really small micro campaigns to see do they engage with a or better such called a b testing for a reason and kind of go through that process so we're also experimenting with that now because we're going to start doing more lead capture into um, cool online platform and that sort of thing so we'll be doing the same thing and going through which one actually works most and then reinvest in that direction that's awesome to hear so uh, people who aren't um, watching this on youtube but listening on the podcast i was giving anthony the big thumbs up talking about actually they realize and and their strategy sorry has adapted to a point where it's not just about making sure we've got 10 posts a week going out you've gone actually the magic happens the real power of this is when we create relationships go to where the conversation is happening and actually nurture the prospects and listen to conversations which is yeah gold star Um, And yeah, about paid as well. You know, I think you've made a really valid point there that one, small businesses can get results from social. It's just Mm. about mindset and how they're using it. I'm really glad to hear you say, you know, stick a couple hundred quid as opposed to some people who get told, don't do that unless you've got a thousand pounds or over per month to spend. And the way you're splitting down AB testing because that's always how we pitch it to clients. We won't tick the AB testing option on social channels because of how expensive it is. Instead, we break it down ourselves into mini campaigns and track it ourselves because you get the same results. Mm. You just don't have to spend as much. Exactly. But it's really important to learn from those. Who's responding? Is it the messaging? Like I said, you can get loads of click-throughs to your website. If no one's purchasing, then it might might not be yeah. that the social channel isn't working, it might be your exactly. price isn't right, your message isn't yeah. right, your creative didn't work, yeah. whatever it is. And specifically for service-based businesses, yeah. that's where the value is. And then turning that into yeah. a lead gen campaign, like you say, download a form, fill in this, yeah. put your inquiry in, and the rest is is kind of the magic. A lot of businesses in their early stages is they can focus for years and years and years going through that drudgery process of trying to build something and they learn very, very slowly. I think it just gives you a platform where you can learn in a very short frame of time. What happens if I put this message in front of 10,000 people? Yeah. If no one engages, it's like maybe what you think you're building isn't as special as you might think it is. And it actually will just let you know very early on if you should pivot or not, or maybe go with a different message or a different market or change the product up some way. Cause I find it, especially when in video, we work so much with messaging. Yeah. There's normally an incongruence. Normally what brands want to say is not quite different to actually what the audience wants to hear. Yeah. Uh, typically businesses, they want to talk about benefits, 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 whereas the audience cares more about emotion and transformation. Yes, definitely. And I guess that for me really is a good summary of, of that message beyond the hashtag. Yeah. yeah, we get a lot of people talking to us about, well, what hashtags should I use and all yeah. that sort of stuff. You know, like, it's really not the thing to be focusing on. Yeah. And um, there are other things that social media can deliver for you. Yeah. 
have you had many responses or case studies or feedback from the work that you've done with animated video about the impact that they have had for your clients? So we're going through that process now. So one of the first challenges that we actually face is because we work with direct to client and we also do work with so certain ethical agencies um, or potentially other video production companies that might be outsourcing animation. We have very limited access to the clients. This year is actually a very different push for us because it's shifted drastically. The agency work has actually become very, very little. We're doing a lot more direct. Cool. So now we're in that process of actually that outreach and we're working with a client. We've just finished working with a client called Do Good and they're cool. a plant-based dog food brand. They've done some amazing work and when we were coming up with the project, um, we knew that certain videos would be for paid ad campaigns and we're waiting for the data on cool. those. So in terms of the actual impact it makes from an engagement point of view, how does it perform in comparison to the static content as well? Yeah. And actually knowing that firsthand because I think for a lot of creatives, that's really where they struggle is how do I actually prove that what I do is of genuine value? Yeah. But I also think it's important internally for us to kind of know that we a, we need to validate our own expertise yeah. so we can then point people in the right direction, yes. which is why we try to experiment so much. So at least we're coming from a credible position where we're talking about what we've done, not what we've heard. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. that term, validate our expertise and experience, yep. yeah, sums up perfectly. We do not talk, particularly as you say, creatives, marketing yep. agencies, anybody in that field, yep. creatives, we don't talk enough about the work that we do and yep. the value it adds. And because you're constantly going, 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 you don't sit back enough and go, God, do you remember when we did that? Oh, actually, yeah. that was pretty good. Yeah. So Naturally Social turns seven this week, Amazing. actually tomorrow. So we go yep. into our eighth year as a Friday and we've been reflecting on some of the work that we've mm. done. And when you sit down and take the time to unpick yep. the stats and luckily for this one client we've got full control so we can see everything yep. and pulled all of that data out and you go wow yeah that's pretty cool and that will help you attract exactly future clients it helps to say validate what you do yeah. it's great internally to bring your team on the journey say look at all the things that we've done and exactly it's something that we're actually really keen to push especially with like the, the clients that we're working with and de it depends on the campaign at the end of the day uh, half of the work that we do is not internal so we might do internal comms for some of these companies so mm. there it's more difficult to track the impact because it's more educational in terms of who's watched it but for us it's getting through that how do we surpass the vanity metrics like in look yes. away from the impressions and kind of go what is this video directly translated into what yes. has it created your business or organization yeah. and that's really what we're trying to tick at the moment cool yeah. nice one wonderful well anthony that is us for this episode but before we wrap up it's yeah. time to go on to my favorite bit of the podcast it's the social media fail social media fail time tell us about this pretty epic fail you've brought to the episode so the main one that i could think of was something that happened in social media i think within the last two months it might, might have been a bit longer but essentially kfc created a video that was going into their chicken farm and it was a documentary and they had a youtube influ influencer come on board and they were going through said chicken farm showcasing how an amazing facility that it was that they were creating and that the chickens were all happy and they got to play and the youtuber got to be a part of this and then promote it to his audience but then a few weeks later an animal activist uh, matthew glover 
went into this chicken facility and actually managed to track down the exact one that they used within the video and they filmed their own documentary highlighting the reality of what the chicken farm actually looked wow. like and the difference was startling to say the least it essentially came out that they'd picked an optimum time in the chickens lives where they were all cute and fluffy their feathers had just come out so they all looked super clean and happy but at this point the chicken um, they get overfed to a point, for example, where they can't support their own weight anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot where they can't walk or their legs have collapsed. A number were just dead and these are on the floor dead next to the other chickens that will then go on into the KFC restaurants oh. and get eaten. And yeah, I think there was a huge fallout from that. I can't remember how the YouTuber in particular responded to when yeah. this came out, but I know the video got a lot of traction. Yeah, um, it was the Beyond the Bucket um, yep. was the video uh, or the series, if you like. And yeah, I think, well, Nico's certainly still producing yep. YouTube content, which makes you kind of think like if an influencer can be involved in such yep. greenwashing, yep. ultimately, or false marketing, and they're not impacted by it, how is that fair? And, and same, what else are they doing? And what else are they doing? Yep. Exactly. And how can you trust what else is getting put out? Actually, it can make you feel that way about all social content. Yeah. Is it genuine? Exactly. But also KFC, but KFC's profits haven't exactly. been impacted hardly yeah. at all because yeah. of this. What, what kind of lessons do you take away from this fail? Like, what did KFC do wrong, do you think, apart from lie? <laughs> uh, lying is a first one. I, I think the UK in particular is moving in a better direction in terms of the welfare of its animals, I like to think. So yeah. I think the plant-based industry in particular in the UK has exploded in the last few years. Yeah. So I think amid that, it was a, a dreadful time for them to actually try and come out and brazenly lie about this. Yes. Seeing the direction that the UK is moving in and how many of these brands are now beginning to thrive. And I think there's a ton of fear in the actual animal agriculture uh, farming side of things because... The industry is pretty much entirely propped up via taxpayer money because mm. the actual prices are its completely unsustainable in terms of what they're getting paid for these products. It's the taxpayers that are literally propping up the entire industry. Wow. I think there's a lot of fear there. So a lot of them are acting brazenly and almost outright trying to paint a picture of just what isn't real to try mm. and save themselves mm. and save face. Yeah, terrible, isn't it, yeah. really? And I, and I don't even know what the answer is to be able to achieve that goal yeah. without falsifying it because that is the fact. Yeah, I've had a simple rule I've adopted for years and I think it's actually probably ethically steered me in a lot of better directions and that was when I'm watching a, a video or a showcase or a documentary or whatever it is, looking at the argument of the person that's preaching something to me is how much are they financially dependent upon what they believe. Mm -hmm. And that gives, I think, a whole new thought process. So when you see these people stand up on boards and they will debate and argue for something, it's like, well, if they're receiving millions to believe that, that alone allows you to at least step back from some of the greenwashing and some of the lies and question the truth to what you're seeing. It's not going to help in every circumstance, but just to give you that little barrier for me, I've actually found has kind of helped disassociate yeah. myself from some of the crap that you see out there. Good. Influencer marketing, have you dabbled in much? How do you feel about influencer marketing in this situation? So we haven't uh, dabbled in influencer marketing. I don't see a scenario where we will. I think for me, it's something morally I want to disagree with it. Um, the idea that someone will be paid to then advocate for something which most of the time, let's be honest, they've never used. They've done no background checking into the organisation and knew who they are so that 
brazen, someone's going to give me money and I'm just going to push it to thousands of people, I think to me is unethical. Mm. Whereas I'm aware of there are some people that would consider influencers because of they just, I think their brand and who they are on social, where they have a lot more integrity in terms of they may push things that they're not being paid to. And it's like, mm. I'm talking about this because I use it and I use it every single day. They should sponsor me, but they don't kind of thing. And I yeah. think there's a little bit more authenticity there. Whereas yeah. I think influencers on Instagram with 11 million and they're telling you to go buy this new protein shake, you have to question how much they've used said protein shake yeah. as an example. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And hopefully that message can transpire into yeah. the minds of younger people who consume this sort of yeah. media all the time is, you know, just because that person is saying it and they have a lot of followers doesn't mean it's exactly. true. And if you're thinking about doing influence marketing or introducing it into your strategy, then make sure you find somebody who genuinely fits with the brand. Exactly. Don't just look at the numbers, look beyond the hashtag. Exactly. Thanks, Anthony. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Hashtag. Make sure you tune in to every episode. And again, follow us on social media. We're at NLY Social on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, you name it, we're there. And I hope to see you all soon.